This is Shaka Wart Speak. But we're rolling, so whenever you want to kind of naturally jump in. Hi, welcome to Shaco Art Speak. What? Who's that? <laughs> it's Cody Spice. It's been a couple weeks. Where, where have you been, been, Cody? Welcome back, buddy. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. <laughs> where have you been? I can't say. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. So moving on. <laughs> we we Cody Cody Spice actually is short for Cody Spy. <laughs> Cody is actually a spy. Co- it's Cody Spies. Yeah. That's why you we, guys have been saying Cody that's right, Spies. Cody Spies. It's Cody, it's Cody, Cody Spies. Spies. It's an easy thing to, you know, yeah. and that's why we call him Code Red because normally <laughs> I, I get I get the call sometimes. Yeah, he gets the call. He's the litmus test. We know we know stuff is going down down tubes when when yep. you've heard when of, Cody Spies. You've heard of Jack Ryan. You've heard of James Bond. Now here of Cody Godwin. Spies. Yeah, spies. Cody Spies. Cody Spies. Cody Spies. Cody Spies. The names, the names keep growing, dude. It's kind of amazing. That's how it goes. Um, Mike Claps <laughs> gave me the first nickname. He called me Big Sips. Big Sips. Because of the cup they gave me. <laughs> it's not a big gulp cup. It's a big sip cup. Yeah, from our time with uh, Rick over <laughs> um, about Canadian basketball players. And when I started talking about that, I knew the sips were too big. He told... Mike that so Mike made me a mug that's great that has that whole quote on it oh dude did the whole quote and then so oh then that's Mike, awesome so he called me big sips big sips <laughs> I was like that might be the that might be a nickname dude I might have just got one man it's been years I'm hard to nickname I'm the nicknamer as Callie said Callie's like you give the nicknames that's right so anyhow that's it's fun. a defense mechanism it's yeah you don't it's I think secretly you don't want to have a nickname yeah. so you just jump out there and give everybody else exactly one. I've tried to and everyone's so so busy trying to dodge right. the nicknames yeah as I just clothe you with it just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tighten the you know like when you're a kid and your parent puts their your um hoodie on if you ever remember <laughs> yeah. and they pull the, the the um the drawstring the drawstring so tight you're like yeah. mom I can't breathe like, yeah. It's like the Christmas storyline. You can yeah. put your arms down when you get to school. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very tangential. I was with That's my kids do. and um, my wife at the park. And it's at the short pump mall. So there's this little, nice little just, you know, courtyard park. Very, mm-hmm. very nice. And there's these little sort of large fake stone-like mushrooms for kids to do stepping stone things on. And I noticed a sticker on them. And the sticker had a warning and mind you, these little mushrooms are very round, not a lot of small protrusions from them, and maybe a foot off the ground. Yeah. And there's a sticker on them warning about the dangers of children playing on playgrounds with drawstrings on their clothes because of how the drawstrings can get caught on mm. things and be potential hazards for yeah. choking and things like that. And it, it struck me as interesting because the object that that sticker was attached to was probably the least likely to have a drawstring caught on it due to its shape and form and lowness and roundedness. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah you know, it, it caught my eye. You go into the triage at like the urgent care, and like, what happened? It's like my child got a drawstring caught on a, a fourteen inch wide uh, toadstool playground equipment mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> they're going to be calling CBS. Yeah, they're like, no, nah, that's a fake story. Yeah, no, that's no not real at all. That. So, yeah. but then Carissa, she. So she noted that it's become less likely for children to have drawstrings on their clothing. So kids' clothing these days is not yeah. made with as many well, drawstrings. I can see that. I mean, it makes sense. Listen, I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. weird because, like, I feel like one out of every five hoodies I own, I take the drawstring out of. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I do. But most of them, like, I'm happy to have them. Although yesterday I was doing some, some work uh, with power tools, 
and I had a hoodie on, and I'm always tucking them oh, into my sweatshirt. Because yeah, mm. the last thing you want to do is like have your drawstring like get sucked into the the motor of That's, a table saw. You and know? have that moment of disconnect for what's actually happening, which is just enough yes. time to get injured. Oh yeah, yeah. So we got a little. This is a little. Uh, dare I say, holiday special we have going on. Yeah, it's a holiday miniseries. It's a holiday miniseries. <laughs> I haven't had those in a while, you know, since streaming destroyed television. Yeah, and um, from what I've heard, it's we're going to be visited by four ghosts. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I've heard that too. Um, but much <laughs> like uh, Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, I'm incredulous. I don't yeah, know yet. You don't know I yet. I don't know Yeah, you're, it just could be a bit of bad beef. <laughs> well, how do we know <laughs> if they're right. ghosts? Under phantasms are our That's imagination. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is what I've heard. We're going to be visited today uh, by the uh, <laughs> the ghost of artistic patience. Oh, yeah, that ghost Ooh. does not sound fun. No, <laughs> artistic patience is that the art creative patience? patience? I, I got a patience in the arts. Yeah, patience, patience in creative in work. Making. Is there anything I can do for me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come. For your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate, you will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? Is that the chance and hope you mention? It is. We're 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 going to be visited by four ghosts, is what I've heard. Yep. And this first one is patience, and that sounds like such a benign and boring topic. How long do we have to wait for patience to show up? I guess you just need to wait and see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. So we're going to jump in and talk about that today. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I mean, because it kind of you know, it, this time of year I think is real easy. Um, you know, we're we're here in the middle well, of the holidays. Let me do this really quick. Yeah. Do we yeah. need to tell. The four ghosts ahead of time. I guess we could. I, mean, I guess we, we know it. You know, yeah, we yeah. know. I and mean, we've 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 been told, mm-hmm. um, you know, through a knock on our door that we we answered the door and we were told, "Hey, you will be visited by four ghosts: the ghost of patience, the ghost of gratitude, the ghost of self control, and the ghost of joy." Mm. All things that often seem to be lacking mm. in one or all parts uh, in the in a in uh, in us, all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generationally in a lot of makers and artists, and folks culturally uh, in a significant way, in a very significant way. And yeah. so we, it just seemed like, you know what, let's put ourselves under the microscope and um, press into these four categories mm-hmm. that I think uh, we need to think about. And I think it makes sense that, that we'd be visited by these spirits during the times of the holidays because there's a way that gratitude, patience, self-control, and joy if you have them or if you don't, it's probably going to be noticeable during yes. the season of the holidays. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, um, you know, we just got done with Thanksgiving um, at the time of the recording this. So um, moving towards Christmas, it's this whole period where like life can get like really just hectic, mm-hmm. right? You've got your your holiday parties over here and your stuff to do and family that wants you to visit and family that you don't want to go visit and, you know, whatever else the whole like, you know, salad of, of your life is during this kind of like month window. Children are trying to get a holiday experience ready for. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's going on 
And so when you look at it, you know, I, I family think, making you feel guilty for not being around them. You yeah. Know, you know, like people start feeling pressure a hundred percent. And so you get to the spot, I think where, um, it, it's, it's real easy to honestly, like in the, in the month from like the middle of November to the end of the calendar year, I think it's really easy for us to, uh, maybe even have some of the worst attitude we have all year. And in some respects, some people might even find that in their professional practice, it just ceases to exist for yeah. like one or two months because of all this stuff. And then mm -hmm. it's really hard to get started in January when the winter full in, full in effect and everything else. So it's, it's good to kind of have these reminders of mm -hmm. like what they're about and what it's for. Um, also because I find that, uh, there's also some, uh, defenses that are a little bit lowered around the holidays. Like everybody, at least, you know, in recent memory, um, there tends to be a little bit more, uh, happiness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are a bit more agreeable, you know, the lights and the, the hot chocolate and parades and stuff like can put a little bit more twinkle in people's eyes. So it's, a, it's not a if you're a, not if you're not if you're a Scrooge though, not if you're a Scrooge, not mm -hmm. if you're a Scrooge. Yeah. So I think, I think maybe in the, in the description we should also just really, I mean, the thing I love about Christmas Carol is the Scrooge is really apparent. Oh yeah. Very quickly as a narcissistic, really self, self-focused individual. Yes. Really greedy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I heard someone say, you all probably caught this quote, so I can't remember who it was, um, talked about how one of the things that is like the biggest threat to our culture mm -hmm. is envy, mm -hmm. the envy of other people and what, oh, yeah, yeah. who they are, what they have. I mean, and I mean that as thoroughly as possible. Yeah. So I think our, our Scrooge is a very envious person, um, envious of others in every possible way. Mm -hmm. And what that envy does is it calcifies, hardens, and entitles them to any good thing they possess mm -hmm. or achieve or produce. So if they make a good thing, well, um, they're entitled to it because of the envy of others. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it creates a kind of shortness in the character of the person. They're, um, no matter how many paintings they sell, it's not enough paintings. Mm -hmm. No matter how, um, much they get recognition it's not enough recognition you know um they, they, they there's a way where it becomes a kind of victim mentality no matter how high up the ladder you are mm -hmm. you you only see yourself as the relative victim of your own circumstances because you don't have enough because of the envy of something someone else possesses mm -hmm. could be a friendship could be money could be success could be fame could be skills ability intelligence physicality body uh, you, you name it, literally anything under the sun. Mm -hmm. And oh, I yeah. think, I think that is what creates the framework for a kind of therapeutic narcissism. Uh, in, in all of that really, um, is not habitable for patients, right? There's no, there's no hospitality for patients. Like you, there's no home for patients in the state of that person's heart. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, and, and you might be asking, you're like, Hey, Hey guys, uh, just to remind you, like you're on a art and design podcast. Like, what are you guys talking about? And I think the important thing when we talk about things like character is that, um, a thing can only produce from what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you don't have a pine cone fall off a tree and turn into like, you know, a tomato plant. Mm -hmm. Right. So what it is will produce what it is. Mm -hmm. So if you have these spaces where you're 
impatient or, you know, you lack joy or other things like that. Like it, it's, it comes out. It, you can't confine it. You can't keep it boxed in and be like, oh, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Right. So like look, look through all art history. Mm-hmm. The stories of artworks are not separated from the people who made them and the lives those people had. Mm-hmm. So you can't pull these things apart as much as we try to justify. So I think when we have these conversations about things like patience, it's because who you are actually does matter. The character of the person at play is important because mm-hmm. that person with that character is is tied up with hopes and dreams and ambitions and desires that will produce something. But it's mm-hmm. a quality. Like what the question is quality. What is the quality of that thing produced? Mm-hmm. What does it do? And what sort of world do those objects help create? Mm-hmm. What sort of culture do they build? And if you start with kind of, you know, to just put it in a strong way, kind of like rotten parts with like a character that just is like really just eating away at a self through this sort of narcissism you're talking about, then those objects are going to do the same sorts of things mm-hmm. in the way that they're created. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. Mm-hmm. If anybody's like, why is this the conversation? Mm-hmm. And it's because like you actually matter as a person to what you make. I think that's great because even if we just reflect on the, you know, the Christmas Carol story, no one goes into that story and be like, well, what do those three spirits have to do with Scrooge's ability to be a banker? Yeah, right. You know, no one's like, it really didn't matter that he got visited by the spirits because those spirits weren't really helping him be better at his job. <laughs> um, we like intuitively understand um, when we see the Scrooge, or at least maybe we would say we hope that we intuitively understand when we see Scrooge as he starts in the story, mm-hmm. how bad off he is and how negatively it's affecting himself and the people around him. Um, and on the flip side, it seems to me that hopefully you'd agree that at the end of the story with the change of heart that he's had, you can probably assume that he's going to go back to his job as a banker and probably be a better banker. Yeah. And, and he's at least not going to be a worse banker. Exactly. Um, he may have some different priorities. Mm-hmm. Those priorities might be different from the world of banking as a whole. So there might come some chafing. You know, well, for instance, speculative. A, an, an example of that reversal as a societal effect is in uh, his unwillingness to, do, you know, decrease the surplus population, like his unwillingness to give charitably mm-hmm. uh, to those in need uh, financially and versus what he's willing to give which floods the need to the point of generativity mm-hmm. and the reverse when he's restored. So, so now the banking is not a, um, a uh, what do you call that? Like a cul-de-sac where a drain where everything mm-hmm. flows to the bank and to ultimately to Scrooge. Mm-hmm. It's actually now it's a fountain that reverses direction and, and flows from it's like a, an unclogged artery, so to speak, yeah. in the, the makeup of a society. And so that's the thing about, we've talked in the past about ecosystems and holistic uh, consequences and effects. So it's like the um, feast or famine mindset, you know, um, the, the narrative, the self narrative versus the reality and the disconnect between those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was listening to, was, you know, there's just the, listen to this guy talk, but they're just talking about the, was the Kruger Dunning effect? You yeah, know, it's yeah. like we're we're a person. All of us are probably somewhere on this continuum mm-hmm. all, all the time, right? And we've talked about the philosopher's circle in the past, like the knowledge paradigm. The more you know, uh, the more the horizon of the circle uh, alludes to that which you still don't know. So the 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 wider your knowledge base is, the more it opens up what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So highly 
um, successful people will oftentimes feel depending knowledgeable people will feel um, like they're not mm-hmm. and people that know less will be um, will tend to feel like they know more yeah. because they're operating with less to work with, which makes them more confident about the little they know. So they tend to be more arrogant and statistically it's amazing. Like the mistakes that it's like uh, in every field, like people that tend to know less uh, like People that statistically perform really poorly, say in medicine, uh, will believe they're far better than their actual work. And that's the thing I think we're seeing in our society across the board. It's mm-hmm. like this, um, you know, this kind of paradox, this apparent paradox of knowledge. But as I've said in the past, you know, not, uh, ignorance and arrogance really hang out well together. It's easier to be arrogant when you have less to contend with, um, and then when you become entitled. And then you're uh, because out of the envy and frustration with what you don't possess that you believe should flow your way, then you're you're impatient because it's Mm -hmm. like I've already self-assigned what I am. Mm -hmm. Now it's just like get me there hastily because I'm sick of waiting. Um, And that sick of waiting mindset bleeds into your ability to hover over your work Mm -hmm. and see it for the goodness that it is or the potential that it has. Um, and so there's no place where your impatience and self-entitlement and narcissism and self-focus doesn't actually atrophy the nature of relationships and things. Um, and as those, as the, the narcissism demands for the things to be accepted at face value, you're, um, systematizing a, a corrupted less than, um, structure for Mm -hmm. society. So every good is weaker than the previous because we are weaker in our envy and narcissism and scrutinous. Therefore, we lower the standards to maintain our sense of high high self-understanding. And then what you're also seeing is anyone who actually is highly, highly competent or capable or intelligent is being cast off of the, the island. They're being mm-hmm. canceled out. So we are literally demoing. Uh, the best of what we've got is imploding in every way. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just blowing it out and taking it all the way to a logical end to come back to. So it's like important to see, like we could really map this out in every direction. Uh, oh yeah. And, and once you see uh, the Vista, you know, when you, when you watch the screws, you get a, you get a view of history, mm-hmm. right? He gets taken into the past. Where did things go wrong? Mm-hmm. Then he gets taken into the future. Mm-hmm. What are the consequences? And there, oh, there's the present, mm-hmm. right? All, all of these things are at play. And there's the great scenes where he's floating with the, uh, the ghost of Christmas past. Mm-hmm. And he's getting a bird's eye view on things. He's seeing things from a perspective he couldn't see when he was in the story, uh, pacing it out moment to moment. So if anything, I feel like that's sort of the goal is sometimes just to get above and look down and say, hey, listen, like, like we're really heading somewhere. Yeah. Um, we really landed there actually already. And we're not really good at um, like to undermine the whole podcast for a second. Uh, Please. Yes. W- yeah. Well, it's just <laughs> ironic. But the, the um, one of the, the things that is a fact is that people don't change their mind just because they realize they right. have biases towards thinking too highly of themselves or taking, thinking too lily. So, you know, a lot of times it's better to just think of this as like sowing a seed or something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's got to get in there. 
it's got to grow at its own pace. And, you know, if you're a prof- professor or a teacher, you've learned this the hard way. If you're a learner, you've, you know, that like, if you've ever, one of my, like, if you've ever told somebody something like there's things that my wife and I have great conversations over the years and there's things that I've shared with her and then she hears it from somebody else and voila, it clicks yeah. and like, and vice versa, you know, like mm-hmm. she's like, I've told you that a million times. But for some reason, the, the yeah, millionth yeah. and one time coming from somebody else, that's when I heard it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how long it takes for things to transact within us, mm-hmm. which is why it requires a kind of patience. Oh, yeah. So anyhow, just to kind of. No, I think it's important because really, I mean, what you're what you're pointing at is like, you know, we we talk a lot about uh, in the past. We've talked about things like journeys and destinations and like, you know, that we're not we're not stationary. Like we're never stationary. Right. Even though you feel like you might be in some sort of rut, mm-hmm. like that rut is still slowly progressing towards something, mm-hmm. whether or not it's progressing or, or regressing. Yeah. Right. Or it's, going where you want it to go. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all it all takes time. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean. The, so the idea of patience, like it has to, in a positive sense in my mind, and y'all can, y'all can push back on this if, if, if you think I'm off base, but um, the idea of patience, I think, has to be tied to, you know, other ideas like, um, like hope or, or dreams or wishes, like, you know, a lot of those sort of things that, that place, uh, that places on some sort of vector, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of impatience is, is very much uh, like you were just saying, Ryan, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I've already arrived at the thing. I just need it now. Mm-hmm. Like it's got to be now. And it's like, no, we, we more than likely the majority of your life is not going to be the arrival. Mm-hmm. That's going to be specific moments, small pieces, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just think about like the way that like people make things. Mm-hmm. Look at the stuff you make and how much of it have you had to like fight like tooth and nail to get to turn into anything that you're not embarrassed about. Yeah. And then how many of those pieces start in your head flow out and are exactly like you want and it feels simple Mm -hmm. it is a minority of the pieces yeah and that's across the board so if we're sitting there even in our studios and all we have is impatience and all we're doing is say this has to be right has to be right now like you have no professional practice in that like even 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 if it's a lot of times impatience will flow with settling Mm, um for making something that works in the frame of your impatience and so you miss out on the potential of your creative capacity because mm-hmm. you're always ebbing towards comfort and time frames that work. And I know this from my experience. So you you default to what you can make easily, mm-hmm. uh, resting on the laurels of your past or whatever. And it gets t- it's tiring. It is tiring to challenge yourself, um, or it's difficult to wade into weighty matters mm-hmm. and not have a clear thought or a clear idea. That's, that's a hard thing to be patient with It is it, it, because there's a pressure for us to always seem like we're on top of everything. Like mm-hmm. there's a, an expedience in a cadence that is technocratic and paces us. So that, that pacing is always like, a, it's like an artificial heartbeat mm-hmm. uh, that's pulsing in and around us. It's pushing us to uh, settle in the way that I'm talking about decline it's to, it's to pacify us into decline so that we're not actually uh, tough enough to not know. Yeah. Like you have to be strong enough to be okay with not knowing and having to wade into difficult waters without the assurance of an outcome. Yeah. I do not see that in people. I don't see that in, I don't want to say too much, but I don't, but, I'm not seeing that anymore. No, it's, I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they were, they were kind of, it was in the same sort of space. <clears throat> What they were asking, like, you know, what, like, what is it? Like, how do, how, how do we, how do we kind of make better things? You know, how do we, like, what does that mean? And what's it look like? And one of the things is like, 
people have to be in a space where there's an uncomfortability that now is not the end all be all of everything. Mm -hmm. And if, and if you have a place where you can begin to remember that, that now is not all of eternity and now can become a moment that passes into a new now with different types of opportunities based on what is now to your point about, um, you know, Scrooge's overhead view of everything with the ghosts. Um, then, then what we have is we have the ability to say that, oh, in this moment, I can actually make a mistake because that mistake will actually help me know something in the future if I'm approaching it properly. But well, it's, like, decision, it's like if the, if the mistake is not so eminently consequential on your undifferentiated, is it undifferentiated life? Like the, the way you've conflated your identity and your work and so that your, that your mistake is a reflection of your identity, not your work. Mm-hmm. And so then you can't afford it. You can't bear that. And so then you're then you can't see the value of um, delay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know your dopamine centers are so overridden with um, give it to me now, mm-hmm. and you're cognitively collapsing your work and your identity together. And so like you you think um, and you have feel and it's chemical and it's spiritual and it's all confl- conflated and collapsed. Then you you can't afford to take a step back from the work mm-hmm. um, because it's, because it, it's a resistance to, to the path that you're on. But the path that you're on is to confirm what you've already assumed about yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's a horrible path actually like to live searching for confirmation of what you already assume about yourself is a contradiction that is worth unpacking. Like if you've already assumed this, why do you need confirmation? Right. Yeah, you've already self-confirmed. Yeah, you self-confirmed. And so what happens is people try to self-talk to go on social media and talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know I'm a this, I'm a that. And it's like you're doing it. You're 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 not talking to anybody else but yourself. Mm-hmm. And um you're probably at a really low moment mm-hmm. because you have to voice this so loudly to drown out the sort of the middle space of of not knowing. Mm-hmm. Can't 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 afford to be patient with that. Can't afford to Heaven forbid you land in a different position than you thought you would, mm-hmm. you know, even one you demonized, you know, we're such a demonizing society yeah. that we've pigeonheld us ourselves into points of view that are preemptively unchallengeable and therefore prisons of our own making because we, we can't risk stepping outside of the demonization. Mm-hmm. Put it another, put it another way, land, like it's like our opinions are too strong. Mm-hmm. So our opinions are so strong that uh, we are crushed under the force of our own opinion and the fear of being a gross hypocrite is too much. So we're, we're prisons of our own doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if I demonize them, whoever them is, then I, and I realize that I'm a them, uh, what do I do? Cause I have utterly tried to establish assurances for myself out of my ignorance, not Mm -hmm. typically out of my knowledge. And so it really barricades people. And I, I think you're seeing that. I think you're seeing the museums. I think not all museums, but I think you see it uh, in the kind of art that's being made right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always going to be good stuff because people are, are always re- good. There's a lot of people that are making good things. But you see a lot of stuff that's just not good at all. Right. Um, and I don't mean good in some cheap way. I just mean like it's really um, exceedingly ad hoc, um, impatiently political. Mm-hmm like ignorantly political, like uninformed political, like not, not I've actually read books. And well, it's like demonstrative art. Yes. In the sense that it exists 
to be a demonstration by a person to confirm those very things exactly. that they're trying to make sure other people know about them as a way of shoring up their identity. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, and I hesitate to say little or no, because it's probably people who are doing that and making good work mm-hmm. simultaneously. But it has um, to be. You run the risk of prioritizing the demonstration of the self over the creation of something that has um, maybe an enduring effect or value mm-hmm. beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. So you, you, in some ways, limit the lifespan of your work mm-hmm. and its ability to possibly speak towards future generations, which may not be something that you care about, but if you don't care about it, if you don't care about speaking to future generations, it means you might be impatient. Well, because, yeah, I would say. Yeah, also, say, say that one more time again. Say the part about generations. Just say it one more time. Yeah, so if, you, if, if you're making work that you don't, care about the possibility that it could persist beyond you and speak to future generations, it might indicate an impatience in yourself mm-hmm. because then you're you're making for the work to do all of its work right here and now, probably for Which you. also entails then a blatant disregard of what preceded you. So that's what I love about the Christmas Carol because I actually, two favorite, I mean, Christmas Carol, all of them, mm-hmm. basically just all of them. And then um, I love the George T. Scott one, but all of them. And I love, uh, and It's a Wonderful Life, or two yeah, yeah. of my all-time, absolute all-time favorite movies, stories. And it's just, it's just to say that in both cases, you get a unique view on the consequences of past actions mm-hmm. in, in two different senses. But that's the beauty of The Christmas Carol is there is a, a looking back. We if following what you're saying, the the person who disregards the future also disregard typically disregards the past. Yeah. Utterly flipping in both directions because of the narcissism. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Narcissism. And I think I mean, you know, with that, so to to that point, if if somebody is disregarding, if you were being impatient to the point of only speaking to now and not even worried about like how this exists within larger context and understanding that humanity exists beyond your lifespan. Um, if if we're impatient to that at that extent, I think the best situation that our work can be in is forgotten. That's the best situation. Um, But another likely possibility or outcome of not considering the larger expanse of time and more a more patient view is that your work becomes something that future generations look back on with scorn or contempt or say, or demonization like you're talking about. And the, only, and the only only reason why you would do that is because then the way you're describing the work is the work becomes um, more about raw power. So more raw power and display. And what I mean by that is something more like a firework. So like mm-hmm. fireworks, nobody, fireworks are so momentary. You don't really ever, I, I, if you do this, God bless you. But most people don't really have unique experiences with video footage of fireworks from 20 years ago. Right. They just go go get another cheeseburger, essentially. Mm-hmm. Cheese, fireworks are the cheeseburger of aesthetic experience. Yeah. I, so I, I'm, saying it, I'm saying because our bar is so low. I don't mm-hmm. think that fireworks aren't raw and impressive, rawly impressive and great for kids. And in the moment you're they're seeing a, the a sky. momentous celebration. They are, yeah, they're very much a celebration more than they are uh, an enduring thing. But the way you're describing our works then at best is a firework that in order to ever be talked about in history, it has to do something catastrophic, like blow up somebody, mm-hmm. but then that's not enough. So it's a, it's a blow up a town. Like, so what I'm saying is you start to assess the work 
along the lines of like collateral damage mm. more than the thing itself. The thing itself, because 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 that's it. It's just raw power. Mm-hmm. It's momentary. There's no future. There's no past uh, unless it does something that steps outside of itself enough, you know, but, but typically in the negative, like you can't, you know, there's no transcend. Well, that's, there's no transcendence in it. There's no well, lowercase I, transcendence. That actually comes to the kind of the question, you know, so we're sitting here and we kind of critique the idea of impatience. Um, but in terms of like the positive sense, like what, what are, I mean, just as a real question, um, I'm thinking at like my, I'm looking at my life and thinking about this and it's like, what, what kind of demarcates a, a like a patient life of someone who is making or well here's my thought on the that. arts i think that's a great question and what i think we have to do is um i don't think we get the answer to that until the fourth ghost i don't think we get an answer to i think what we get is you get visited by these specters that haunt us and they are all cliffhangers to the answer which is actually in the fourth category so I think we, I think ultimately because they're, because they're not, because that's the thing is they're not, um, they're, they're walls that support each other or their legs that support the table. They're there. You take one away, they all fall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing is the gratitude, the, uh, patience and, uh, the other ghosts, which I'm forgetting cause, uh, self-control, self-control, mm-hmm. um, are all interrelated to each other. So, um, so I think, I think, I think we'll, I think that's the thing is I think we have to risk <laughs> the first couple ghosts making everyone feel a little like Scrooge. Yeah. I think in order just, to receive the holiday good news. Yeah. Just to kind of loop around on something you mentioned earlier, Gareth, if we just think about even the Christmas Carol story, um, you touched on hope as something that drives patience. So, yeah. and I was just thinking about like, you know, my son Alexander, he's five, super pumped about Christmas because he's kind of right at that age where, mm-hmm. like last year, he totally got what's going on. This yeah. year, he's got memories from last year mm-hmm. to really drive forward, like what's going on. And we've implemented some some more like preparatory traditions as we're getting ready for Christmas. So we've got like a, a paper chain that's hanging from our ceiling in Those the kitchen. Are my that he gets to take a, a link off and we've got little advent calendars so nice. we can eat some chocolates. But in his <laughs> excitement for Christmas... If we allowed his impatience to drive things, he's excited about a future good thing. Mm-hmm. And if we let his impatience drive things, we could just do an ad hoc Christmas tonight. Oh, yeah. And we wouldn't be eating the good food that we're looking forward to eating for Christmas. Mm-hmm. He might get some of the presents because we actually did our Christmas shopping early. Um, but we don't have a tree yet. So mm-hmm. there wouldn't be any, you know, presents around the Blasphemy. tree. Blasphemy. We don't have uh, stockings. <laughs> you haven't had it up since October. What you are know, you talking about? We <laughs> went Christmas tree shopping, and I might be a little bit of a scrooge, but I saw some of the price tags on mm. those trees. No, you're not wrong. And I'm pretty sure in two weeks they're going to be lower digits. So. They're also going to be dead. <laughs> so come to the dark Anyways. side, and I'll I'll tell you what I do for a tree. Now, derail the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess the point is like, so you ha- we have an option. We could throw in an ad hoc rushed Christmas. No, totally. And it would be less than the thing that we're looking forward to. And when it was done, he might not feel it. But I think as a family, there would be, we would have to acknowledge we settled for something less. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about the hope of what we have to look forward to by actually working towards 
real Christmas mm-hmm. is worth delaying oh, you're totally and right. waiting so that way we can experience the fullness of something mm-hmm. that we know is good. Yeah, because uh, the option, somebody might say, well, what's the harm? What's the harm in just doing that today? Why, why not just go home and do it? Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. No big deal. And it's like, well, then it's like, okay, well, then where does that impatience stop? Mm-hmm. Because impatience is is like a lot of other monsters where once you feed it, it's not mm-hmm. satiated. Yeah. It's like, and, no, 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 keep feeding me. And the envy comes when, let's say, we do that and then, okay, our Christmas is done for the year. Mm-hmm. But then we get to see all the joy that our friends have when they waited to do the real big Christmas mm-hmm. thing. And now we've got a little bit of an irked heart right. well, because then the answer is you just we, do it again. Exactly. Immediately. Do it again, blame, mm-hmm. you know, justify. Um, I mean, you see that. I mean, I want to be careful, but you see, you see the envy turns to demonization uh, politically and also through, through the experience of COVID just looking at people, uh, people. So, you know, one of the things I kept thinking about is like a lot of folks love to transgress rules. Mm-hmm. And so there, we're we're hypocrites in that we will transgress some rules and uphold other ones, and then we'll browbeat. You know, like I watched a guy lose his mind because someone walked by him who was unmasked. Mm-hmm. I saw a video. One guy was unmasked, one guy wasn't, and this guy lost his mind. And you can tell he was drunk on a kind of self righteousness, mm-hmm. like a, in, in in an envy that he had positioned himself one way and someone else position himself another way and he couldn't live with that and i and i mean we're in that like Mm -hmm. it is in the air we breathe so tensely um yeah which uh, it kind of gets me to that thought of you know hope can sometimes sound like a hokey word but Mm -hmm. i think if you look at scrooge one of the benefits of like the the ghost of christmas past helps scrooge see that when he was young he made he had priorities Mm -hmm. he actually did have hopes and things yeah and so one of the, the processes of him being visited by the ghost is, hey, let's see where you started. What are the things that you were hoping in? What did you discard? Hmm. Other people, their good, you know, their best interests. He zoned in on what he was putting his hope in, which was his accumulation of wealth and, and security and things like that. And then the ghosts march him forward to see how is this affecting the present now? Mm-hmm. And what is the if, what might happen in the future if you continue on this path? And it's an interesting thing because kind of back to your example of that gentleman with the mask, he had his hope in something. Mm-hmm. We all have our hope in something. Well, yeah, it's so in a weird way, we are all willing to be patient for something. Mm-hmm. So the question is kind of... Hence the entitlement piece. That The entitlement piece is what disrupts that relationship because then if you're like my hopes in X and it doesn't happen, I'm owed X. Mm-hmm. Why did it happen? So then you well, kind of have to ask the question, is your hope in something that's good for you and other people? You yeah. you sort of have to then yeah. juggle your hopes against. So let me other let me values. say that. Then so that what that raises is if you're listening, then you're like, well, what does good mean? Blah 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 blah. Right. So what's on the chopping block is your worldview, is your fundamental assumptions, which people lazily try to get out from under. I don't want to have to think about that. Like I brought up something to a coworker, there's mega implications. They're like, I'm not worried about that. I don't think about that. And it's like nine out of 10 people say the same thing, which is why this is actually being implemented. Mm -hmm. Because provided everyone is self-absorbed and just focus on themselves, that's the pathway for totalitarian execution of any number of things, power grabs, et cetera, Mm -hmm. personal, corporate, business, societal, global, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, And you have no worldview to really deal with it. So you're like, 
uh, I don't even understand what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't be bothered by it. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it dooms you for, you know, more than dissatisfaction. So it's like, you have to have a, you have to have a worldview. Yeah. You have to figure out what you believe and then you have to test it. Mm-hmm. Does this hold? And is it sufficient grounds for the hope that I have? Is my hope endlessly in my abilities? Yeah. Or does my hope, if I really walk it out, actually produce some type of destruction? Because that's mm-hmm. sort of the Christmas carol is Scrooge has his hope in certain things. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, which allows him to run roughshod over other things, namely people. Mm-hmm. And the whole sequence of looking at the past and the present and the future is to show him that the thing that he's placing his hope in is destroying the world around him mm-hmm. and himself. And it destroyed his best friend. And it has already destroyed people. So yeah. it's, it's just walking out the consequences and then he's left with the question, you know, sort of, if we want to take the extreme, like he's 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 left staring at his gravestone. Yes, he's left. He's yeah, taken yeah, yeah. all the way up to the end mm-hmm. and then he has the opportunity not to go back into the past and change the past, mm-hmm. not to go into the future and try to fix the future, but he gets set back in the present mm-hmm. with the question, what will you now hope in mm-hmm. if your current hopes will yeah. produce mm-hmm. death of people around you and your own death? Mm-hmm. The brilliance of that is, I mean, he's he's it's like he sees the grave. It's What's interesting is that, and I think this goes back to the earlier point that we're not just we're not just changed by mere facts. Mm-hmm. So like in the, in the allegory, like in the story, he is in, he's, he's met by the specter of his best friend who actually had imbibed and lived and embodied the life that he was living to the point of excellence in the mind of Scrooge. And his eyes couldn't reconcile the reality of Marley. He, he couldn't, he, there's a cognitive dissonance. He couldn't believe it, even though the truth was staring him in the face. The grave was staring him in the face and it wasn't enough. So then he had to go to another grave, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, he still can't, um, it, it's taking like a successive set of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a heck of a story. Actually, it is. it's a heck of a story. And it, I mean, it actually, you know, just to circle around before we close it, 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 it um, ignited a certain level of um, the spirit of Christmas, so to speak. I mean, Dickens is, like saved Christmas in a certain kind of way mm-hmm. during that time. Like it was morale was low before. Um, yeah. That it was story also, there's also patience involved in the story itself because Absolutely. it was released as a serial in newspapers. Mm-hmm. So yes. you had to wait <laughs> from yes. day to day or week to week to and figure out what was going on. Tie it around. Um, it's worth considering that it is an artistic work. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. we're talking about the conversation of like, what does this have to do with artists? Well, Dickens was a man who made an artistic literary work that mm-hmm. we are now talking about that 200 has, years later. That has import transcendently on us now. And, so, and what's wonderful about Dickens himself, like there's a lot of writers who can conjure stories and do a wonderful job building worlds and whatnot, but so many of his stories were actually born out of experiences he had. Mm-hmm. His childhood, the mm-hmm. way that his father was you know, put into a pauper's jail. and Serious and reflections prison. on the and society. A lot of in. things, yeah, seriously. So it wasn't, he's not one of these guys who's just like, oh, I'm kind of creating, using AI to make up some crap that I put out there into a story. Yeah, it's I not farted in the camera and then... Right. Yeah. It's none of that, those sort of like throwaway things. It's very much like the same way that somebody seriously in their studio would be talking yeah. about their art practice. Labored over. Yeah. There's so, a great film where, where he's like, you seen the movie? I forget what it's called now. We love watching it, but it's like about Dickens writing the story. It's got a little bit of comedy, a little, but like he's, he actually is inhabited by all the characters he's writing. Oh, nice. And they're actual physical actors 
while he's dealing with the story, his story. Mm. And so no one else can see him but him. And he's like, go away, you know, like, and then he, he come, it's, it's a great, it's a great movie. It's really enjoyable. It's really good. I forget what it's called. My brain's just, but um, I'll mention it later, but it's yeah. worth watching because it kind of gets Put into in the, the creative process and the, just the difficulty of the process, the printers, uh, illustrators, people, deadlines, the pressure, mm-hmm. all, all of that stuff is at play. That's cool. F- family relationships, marriage relationships, being a father, everything is boiling at a boiling point. His dad, you know, his dad's a tough, tough component in the movie. It's it's really delightfully done. Um, and it adds something novel uh, that normally I would be like, uh, like kind of a bit of a purist with it, but I'm like, this actually adds a great layer to this story, but it's worth, it's worth, um, uh, sort of sitting on this. So that I think maybe the question is, um, the lack of patience correlates to what you hope in. Mm-hmm. So the question is what, you know, the question to wrestle with until the next episode would be till the next ghost comes is, is what are you hoping in? Like, mm-hmm. what are you really hoping in? Not, what do you think sounds right to other people to hope in? Like, you know, if someone said, talk to yourself, you know, mm-hmm. don't just assume your thoughts, uh, be skeptical of your thoughts and ask yourself, what are you really hoping in? Mm-hmm. Like, are you hoping in a moment that eclipses all moments? And then what, what if you live past that moment? Yeah. Are you hoping for a euphoric relationship? Are you hoping for the job to end all jobs? Then what? Mm-hmm. ask the what are you hoping in and then what question and i think you'll start to realize that a lot of our what our hope is placed in is possibly not strong enough not thick enough mm-hmm. um which ought to force us into a new set of questions yeah uh, so i, I don't well, know so i think it's that, a good place to, i think it's a good place say, to at that leave. part we'll do just like uh, scrooge and the ghost of christmas past and we'll drop you in your bed and we'll catch you next time the the clock chimes yeah Uh, but you are a fantastic audience we do love love you guys and uh, we will catch you next time please you've been listening to shaco art speak a production of shaco art space we are an independent non-profit art gallery in richmond virginia we can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic shaco bottom